With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A series finally poised and after ducking and swaying into Schwane and basking in the glory of Table Mountain, we move to where South Africa versus England began nearly 131 years ago and where apartheid South Africa's days as a test nation ended nearly 50 years ago. Diving into the duck pond deep end, this is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast, the regular podcast from the world's leading independent cricket commentary provider, Gorilla Cricket. We're recording on the evening of Thursday the 14th of January 2020, two days out from the third test of four of what's shaping up to be another cracker of a series between South Africa and England. And on the very day that the MCC Committee and MCC World Cricket Committee came out against mandatory four-day tests. We'll be talking all this and more, and that's the Gorilla Guarantee. I'm your host, Knuckle M. Pandey, recording from a top-secret South London location, and I'm joined down the webophone by a friend of the show all the way from the Eastern Cape, live from Port Elizabeth, let's say a hearty how's it to Daniel Gallen, how you doing? Yeah, how's it, Knuckle? Um, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, doing very well, thanks. Um, happy to be on. Grand, grand. Uh, so you've, uh, you flew into PE yesterday uh, after a little bit of downtime between the second and third test, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, these uh, four uh, match series, it's, you know, it's long. I mean, it's a, it's a toy to do this job. I certainly am not going to start complaining about anything in this profession, but it was important to, to take a bit of a break away from, from cricket chats. Uh, it can get a bit uh, insular in the press box, but no, but the, the, the break came at a great time and I'm, I'm so excited. I, I can't wait for this match. As you said in the intro, it's, been, it's already shaped up to be a, a fantastic series. I mean, these two teams have, have hammered each other. And now there's a bit of spice with the, the whole Joss Butler thing. Um, so there's a little bit of needle. I chatted to Enric Nokia today. He kind of suggested that the, the whole Joss Butler affair added a bit of, as he said, it got the blood flowing in the camp. So, yeah, um, looking forward to this one. Big fast bowler being angry uh, performatively. 
Who knew? Yeah, Joss Butler doesn't... Uh, my, my notes simply say, angry Joss is angry. He doesn't get angry very often, but when he does get angry, he really does flip. I remember um, Jure, when, when he got monkeyed by Ashwin in the IPL last year. Uh, he was absolutely livid uh, after that. But yeah, that the uh, we may as well start there at the end of the uh, the end of the Cape Town uh, test. And I read I read a few things um, saying that a lot of the, a lot of things basically blaming the stump mics for uh, for what happened. We we the TV director uh, deigned not to show us any other sort of build up to that had that was that just that one incident of uh, of uh, Philander getting in the way of the throw or was there something else that had been going on it was hard to see i was sitting in the press box and and as you say it was we were kind of winding down towards the end of the game so i was you know scribbling away and typing away trying to get my copy in in time um i mean look whoever, whoever says that blaming the it was blaming the stump marks is ridiculous i mean that's like blaming speed guns or, or rather blaming speeding for on, on speed guns it's 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 ridiculous so no, it's not the it's not the stunt mics' fault. I, I don't I, I agree and I disagree with Kevin Peterson when he says that these are these things just happen on the sports field. I understand tensions are high and it happens, and I certainly don't want to uh, take away the characters from the game. You know, I don't I don't want I don't want cricket to become a, a nanny state where, where politi- political correctness has gone mad. But I do think that Josh Butler crossed the line to quote David Warner, that famous line crosser. Um I, I don't know. It, it seemed like it just came out of nowhere. I, I think I think at that stage, England had probably already had the game wrapped up. So it was quite strange that that Joss had exploded in that way. But look, you don't know what is said, and also there's a lot of chats out there that the stump mic doesn't pick up, and the players aren't going to reveal exactly what was said, you know, while standing in the middle of the pitch. So. Look, from what where I from when I saw it, it was a, an isolated incident, but who knows what had been happening? Yeah, indeed, and uh, and to quote Beyonce, uh, you say that you're sorry, uh, but you're not. You're only sorry you got caught, uh, possibly to misquote Beyonce. Uh, yeah, so we'll move on from all that, all that nonsense and and line lines being crossed. Uh, just to say, you know, it's yeah, probably shouldn't have said what he said, but um, as as Marcus Stoinis and Kane Richardson can attest to you. Many worse things get said on a cricket field. But moving ahead, looking ahead with a series now poised, uh, we move, uh, say, from Western to East and Cape along to, uh, to Port Elizabeth. And we've all, been, we've all been told that we're expecting uh, a change in conditions. Um, you, you wrote a piece uh, today saying that it's, it's probably the least South African in South African pitches. Just how slow and how low are we, are we expecting this PE pitch to be? Look, I think I actually may have done the narrative a slight disservice there. It is certainly the least South African of all the South African pitches. And what that means is when you think of a South African pitch, you think of a strip that offers a lot of, a lot of bounce, like it does upcountry in, in the Highfeld in Pretoria and Johannesburg. Or a lot of seam, like it does in in Cape Town, and this kind of does neither of those things by the standards of South African pitches. But it is still a South African pitch. It is still go- it's, it's not it's not like we're playing at at Vizag or or in Colombo. This is not going to be a a slow low turner. Although it, it by compared to the Wonders, it will be low and slow. If you know what I mean. So it, it's not a case where you you pack the team with spinners. And you, 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 it's, it's going to be a, a, a grind or an attritional game compared to what happens in the subcontinent. This will still, the ball still will carry. There will still be runs on the front foot. And if you, if you stray too far back of a length, you will be cut or, or, or pulled. Be that as it may, I, I don't envisage the, um, 
the 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 real you know seeming spitting wicket that we've been accustomed to. I had a look at it today, and it looked worryingly brown this far out of the um, of the match. Two two games to go. Normally, you you expect to see a lot of grass on the wicket, and they took it off. And I don't know. I I, I I'd like to be wrong, and I, and smarter people than me get get pitches wrong all the time. But it does look like it's going to be one for the purists as they say, which means it'll probably be boring for everyone else. I, I'm expecting a, a hard-fought, big-score plays, big-score. could be a draw, potentially, although the way these two teams bat, you don't see that coming. Um, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a grind out there. So there's no, what you might call, strategic under-preparation to get a bit more life into the pitch and, uh, and kind of going back, I guess, to what South Africa have been doing in home tests for the last few years. Uh, I mean, look, Jofra Archer's inclusion means that South Africa can't necessarily make pitches like that that only suit the fast bowlers because now England ca- can fight fire with fire, as it were. And obviously, if Mark Wood comes into the into the uh, the team, he's more than capable of doing that too. Um, I, I think I read something in the in the Evening Standard from Will McPherson that they might play them both, although that seems unlikely. I, I, I think. Um, yeah, I, I, it, it won't work. It, it, it won't work to go with, with that sort of mentality where it's just seeming and bouncing and splitting. And even if they wanted to, I think that the nature of the wicket uh, means that they couldn't. PE is, is kind of sitting on a... It, it's all quite sandy, the soil. It, it is softer. It's, it's, not, it's not a kind of hard clay underneath, even though you know, the pitch is hard clay. But that is sitting on top of, a, of quite a spongy, sandy surface. So I think that does take some of the life out of the pitch. I think whatever 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 wicket they'll prepare, they'll want it to be they'll want it to be a good cricket wicket where the bowlers with the new ball are a menace, and if you're a batter that you get in, um, you can make big runs. Whenever England are in town, you want it to go to five days because of the broadcast and because of the the potential for fans that there'll be less than there were in Cape Town. I think it's I think it's going to be a good cricket wicket. You know, a lot a lot is made of, and we'll get onto it. Four day cricket, and we. We look at, at the last time India were here, for example, when when teams couldn't couldn't bat to half, you know, the middle of the fourth day, and people said, "Oh, what what fantastic wickets!" But I, I would I would actually like to see a bit of a grind. South Africa's had a problem with accumulating big runs, and we saw in the last match how Quinton de Kock, Faf Duplessis, and Dean Alger, the three senior players, all you know, big big players throwing their their, their wickets away quite cheaply, playing quite brash shots. So I wouldn't mind a wicket that kind of can slot the batsman into a mindset of we're here for the long haul and, and, and we're going to look to go big no matter how long it takes. England struggle with pitches like that in, in New Zealand uh, in, in terms of um, being able to find breakthrough on, on flat pitches. As you say, there's a potential pace being brought into the attack in Archer and Wood. And we will be as well uh, use this to get onto, onto England selections. Just before we do, though, a little bit of context. I mean, England haven't played at, uh, at PE since 2004, so there's not much of a guide there. But the last test match that was played here was uh, the second test of the Sri Lanka series after, you know, the kind of the morning after the night before in terms of uh, Casal Pereira's absolutely uh, monster uh, monster knock in the uh, in the the Durban test wasn't it the test before but this was the test where Sri Lanka was set 197 uh, to win in the in the fourth innings and chased it down with eight wickets uh, remaining uh, striking at um, well over four and over uh, against a, a pretty a pretty decent attack I think that was probably, I think that was the last test for both Dale Stone and Dwano Lafir uh, um, so runs can be 
uh, can be scored, at least uh, were able to be scored uh, early last year. But uh, but yeah, for England, uh, there's they won't have Jack Leach available, so Dominic Bess will get uh, another go on a pitch that might be a little bit more helpful. Jack Leach, it seems like, has had an absolute horror show of, a, of an English autumn winter. I feel really sorry for... Uh, for him, um, if you if you don't know, um, it turns out he was hospitalised during the New Zealand tour. That turned out to be sepsis. He's had gastroenteritis and the flu, and um, as you may well know, he he suffers from Crohn's disease and has done since he was a uh, since he was a teenager. So uh, it seems like almost a kindness to to get him out of there. Uh, Dominic Bess, uh, who did half a good job in uh, in Cape Town, will have a lot more to do on a pitch that uh, might be a little bit more. Uh, to his liking but uh there's a lot of tea leaf reading about whether wood or archer or wokes uh will will play it does seem like at least one of wood or archer uh will play with jimmy anderson uh now out of the uh out of the tour um i i agree with you i don't think they're likely to to play both wood and archer i can see that for joburg uh, a little bit like a repeat of what india did uh, in joburg at the start of 2018 going in with a uh, a full a full pace attack uh but um, for South Africa, I, I'm, I mean, let's talk about the England selection because actually, there's more to unpick. Weirdly, with the South African uh, selections, even though they're unchanged. Yeah. Uh, okay. So starting with England, as you say, um, you don't see both Fossmen going. The thing is with the spinner here, it's it's not necessarily a turner, but a spinner who can control the tempo and go to and over allows the quicks at the other end, as as the, as he does anywhere in the world. Allow will allow the quicks to to operate at full tilt from the other end. But that probably becomes more important here because of the, the lack of penetration that the that the fast bowlers will get out of the pitch. Just touching on Sri Lanka, which is important that, that you bring it up, South Africa bowled poorly. And, and the reason why they bowled poorly is because they, they were duped into thinking that a Sri Lankan side won't be able to handle the short stuff. And whether that's true or not is irrelevant in Port Elizabeth because if you bang away at, at, at back of a length, that ball is going to sit up and it's going to get spanked which is what the Sri Lankans did to the South African bowlers. Speaking to Anrik Nokia, who, who knows this ground better than most, he's the only player uh, from the Warriors franchise, which is the local franchise in the current South African setup. Um, he once took a nine for here in, in, a, in a franchise game against the Knights. The key is, is pitching it up uh, and, and pitching it up a good half a meter more than, than you would otherwise. That doesn't mean that you have to be a, that, that only dibbly dobbler Bowlers are successful. Andrik Nokia regularly cranks it up at 150 kilometers an hour. There's no substitute for pace no matter what length you're hitting at. But you've got to hit it at, at, at a much fuller length and you've got to get the batsman coming forward. That probably means that, that naturally the English will probably feel more comfortable because that fuller length is, is, is a more comfortable length. It's the length they grew up bowling on um, English wickets. Yes, it doesn't seem as much and the, and the Kookaburra ball won't swing as much as the Dukes ball. So that comparison is, is not the same. But in terms of the areas that the, that the FOSS guys are going to be looking to hit, it's fuller. You want to get the batsman coming forward. You want him driving. The catches are in play, but also the catches in, in front of the wicket, the guys at short extra cover and even at mid-wicket. Um, so that'll be interesting to see which bowlers can adapt by hitting that fuller length. As we saw in Cape Town, the English adapted sooner than the South Africans. So my feeling is that unless the South Africans can clock on very quickly, especially with the new ball and not wasted, it's probably advantage England in terms of the areas that they are more naturally hitting, or, or, more, or more comfortable hitting, I should say. I wonder if there's a, some element of see what length of a Fielander bowls and bowl there 
Uh, Werner Fielander has has a superb record at this. Well, where doesn't he have a superb record? Uh, 16 wickets in five tests, an average of 23. Uh, Kahiso Rabada uh, has only played four test matches here, but is already the third highest wicket taker at St. George's Park. 23 wickets in four uh, tests, an average of uh, 17, uh, 17.6. Uh, um, so it's not as though those African bowlers haven't had success here. I Perhaps slight caveat, I think one of those tests was uh, a test match we'll get onto was... Uh, a game that was scheduled to be a four-day test here against Zimbabwe, uh, where, where Zimbabwe folded inside twice inside inside two days. But uh, but though, nevertheless, those those figures are are, are pretty handy. And Keshav Maharaj, uh, who I I kind of ended up feeling sorry for partway through Cape Town, twelve wickets in four tests at an average of uh, just under thirty-one. And the spinners have done okay at PE over the last uh, five years, an average of uh, just under thirty-five, which by South African standards is. It is pretty good. Yeah, I thought the the way that it's not often you say that uh, an English captain, in particular Joe Root, handles his spinner better than uh, than a South African than well than a, than a, than another captain. But I thought uh, I thought Maharaj was asked to do um, a nearly impossible job uh, by by Faf, and then kind of almost compounded by the fact that uh, he was made to come out at night what as night watchman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I that, that, that felt a bit a bit cruel asking him to. To come and as not watch him, although apparently he was he was quite eager to redeem himself. He, he does fan, he is a, a better batsman than his numbers suggest. Yeah, it's it's weird the the, the Kesha Maharaj story at Cape Town. I'm hoping that it's just it's just one of those terrible matches that that even the greats have. You know, Jarkala's got a pair. I think I'm correct in saying he certainly got ducks as tin, as the Tendulkar McGrath got stick a couple of times. You know, good players have bad matches. That that is a fact. But what was worrying is is the the lack of clarity from from Duplessis when he was captaining Kesha Maharaj. Now, who was setting the fields? You saw Skipper and Bowler in in lengthy dialogues, a lot of finger pointing. But there was a stage where where, where Kesha was bowling from the the wide end, the Kelvin Grove end. Um, if if the, if the right-handed batsman, um, if if his back is towards the mountain, if that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the there was a man catching at forward short leg. Then he was moved to extra cover. Then he was moved to kind of a, a short bit wicket. Then he was moved to a leg slip. Then there were two slips. And you just kind of, you know, Mark Boucher criticized Kesha Maharaj for not landing the ball in a consistent area. But if your catcher is constantly moving, what sort of message does that send to the, the spinner of how you want him to get wickets? So I just hope that more patience is shown. You know, Joe Root had, I thought Joe Root had a fantastic game in Cape Town. He, he, he could set fields. And, and all Best had to do was just land on that same area and eventually got the wicket of, of Dean Elgar, who was forced to play a shot that he wouldn't necessarily have played um, if things were going according to plan. I mean, like, I guess they, in a way they were going according to plan, but the pressure, the pressure told. Um, credit must go to the English batters who, who looked to attack Maharaj. I mean, Ben Stokes was, was diabolical the way he just decimated Maharaj in the, in the, in the morning of the fourth day. Um, but yeah, you, you're completely right. Asked to do the impossible job of simultaneously taking wickets and holding up an end because the narrative of Maharaj is that he is unlike any, any spinner South Africa have had, certainly in whites. In South African test matches, you have spinners who either take wickets, like Paul Adams, like Imran Tahir, or you have bowlers who hold an ender, like... Paul Harris or uh, Nicky Boyer. Kesha Maharaj has been painted as the guy who does both. 
And I think that Fuff and maybe Keshev himself got kind of caught in no man's land a little bit where they looked to simultaneously hold an end up and be an attacking strike bowler. And he kind of landed up doing neither. I, I know ego comes a lot in, in, in bowlers who are told they're wicket takers, but I think Keshev just needs to kind of can that and become a bit more defensive and, and just really seek to, to remain disciplined because looking to, looking to force the issue here in Port Elizabeth can really get you in trouble and, and you, could, you can lose the match if the wicket flattens out and, and Ben Stokes takes it away from you in a session. So, yeah, just a bit more patience. Not with not, we've, We all know the, the lack of patience, how, a lack of patience with the bat cost of Africa, but a lack of patience with the ball also cost of Africa and they'll need to show that here. Yeah, I think that it was that curious mix of of um, a lack of of a lack of patience, um, certainly within the spell, but also Kesha Maharaj bowled twenty two overs in a row from the Kelvin Grove end at one point um, on on day three, um, and as you say, he was asked to either bowl um, over the wicket into the footmarks and and try and sort of tie up tie up one end, but then as you say, Peter Milan uh, under the lid was jumping here, there, and everywhere, uh, moving all over the place, and I ju- I just felt that. Um, that he was, he was, uh, Kishan Maharaj was almost, it, he was taking the brunt of the fact that Faf didn't really have a plan to, uh, to take wickets at either end. I think a little bit like he was in India. And I think that, I think that what happened in India and what happened, and I think Cape Town is kind of a symptom of that, is perhaps that his confidence is, is way down. And you can, you can try and do a bit too much and, and also be a bit too, um, eager to go with whatever plan your captain. Uh, comes up with, um, which I kind of sensed with with Keshav Maharaj. I think, uh, whereas as you say, the template was set in a in a way on a, a pitch that was taking was taking a little bit of seam movement by Dominic Bess in the first innings. But then Bess showed in the second innings how difficult it is for um, for for spin bowlers when they're trying to adapt from being a defensive bowler to being an attacking bowler. And he was just consistently bowling just deliveries that were very easy to block on the front foot. And, you know, uh, Joe Root's coming for a lot of stick, but I think he took Don Bess off at the right time in that in that fifth innings when another captain might have kept him on uh, for a long time. But Dominic Bess will get another go. Kesha Maharaj, we assume, will get another go. And we kind of come on now to the South African selection. They've named, well, it's the 11-plus Dane Patterson is... If Dane Patterson does play, I mean, he's a, a sort of a controlling, put it on a line and length, hope for a little bit of movement either way. He's not a strike bowler. Who would he come in for, if at all? Or are we looking at another uh, another unchanged South African eleven? I think he would argue that he is. He, he's a bit more than that. I mean, he's he's quicker than he's quicker through the air than than Philander, and he, he he can swing it both ways. Um, I, he, he's he's kind of I mean he's clo- I would say he's closer to a strike bowler than he is a holding bowler certainly with the red ball uh, but yes to take your point he's he's no Enric Nokia or Kahisa Rabada um, I I I don't think they'll they'll change the side and and truthfully I don't think they they need to I don't think they should yes a uh, 189 run defeat in a game that they were never in is is quite a damning result um, and usually you would say okay well heads need to roll but I think I think it's easy. Not easy, but I think the 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 wise thing would just be to chalk this up as a bad result. You were beaten by a very good team that had a a, a fantastic innings and, and or a couple of fantastic innings and and some really good bowling. England were England were very good. Um, this is the nature of Test cricket. You know these are two flawed teams, but sometimes things click and a team gets trounced. 
I think that that is what what happened. I I would be surprised if if Patterson comes in. I think Pretorius offers too much with the bats dropping. You're not going to drop Philander. You're not going to drop Rabada. Andre Nokia deserves his place, and you can't drop the spinner. So uh, there there is really just no one to drop. It, it's not like Patterson is. It, it comes in and can do. He, he he doesn't do anything better than anyone else in the side currently does. So yeah, I I don't see him playing. And there was talk that he would come in for for Pretorius or for Lander, but I think that's ludicrous. I I I, I would be very surprised if, if Patterson plays. I mean, him coming in for Lander, given for Philander, given that this is Philander's penultimate Test match, would seem just just ridiculous. And you know, I've just read out I've just read out uh, Vern's numbers here, and you know, Vern's numbers anywhere uh, anywhere are um, are. You know, up there with with some of the very best of all time. Um, possibly is is Patterson then perhaps being groomed as not Philander's like for like replacement because it's pretty difficult to replace that, but someone who can come in and do a similar job with the new ball once uh, Werner Philander's uh, enjoying the cider down in Somerset. Yeah, look, I, mean, I think I think the one thing that South Africa cricket needs to bear in mind is that when you when you try and replace legends of the game, you can kind of find yourself trying to foot uh, square pegs into round holes. We saw it with A.B. de Villiers. Um, we saw it with uh, Dale Steyn when he left and, you know, someone like Lance Klusner even. You know, these, these certain players that, that do some things that, that makes your team unique. Jacques Cullis is another example. Um, if Ben Stokes, you know, when Ben Stokes retires, it's not necessarily going to be another Ben Stokes. When Adam Gilchrist stepped aside, there wasn't another Adam Gilchrist. Vernon Philander makes South African cricket, the, makes the South African cricket team unique. It gives them a, a, a very special uh, line of attack that not many players around the world, uh, that not many teams around the world have. I mean, certainly, and, and his addition with the bats, you know, kind of makes them a, a more complete player. I don't think that they would necessarily be saying, we want Dane Patterson to be the next Vernon Philander. I don't think anyone can be right now. But having him around and developing that skill where if he needs to play a more holding role, to supplement his, his strike bowling, then 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 he, he becomes a much better cricketer and a much better asset to the Proteas. Having him around, we saw him today. He was in, in conversation with um, with Charles Langefeld, a guy who who he's worked with in the past. He was he was in conversation with Kahisa Rabada and Vernon Philander. Nokia was off to the side, so it was interesting seeing him immerse himself in the squad. And, and those conversations will no doubt be invaluable. But no, I don't, I don't see him making his debut in this Test series unless someone breaks down. So it looks as though it's another unchanged. I say another an unchanged eleven. Um, you talked about some of the guys who who threw it away a little bit. Um, uh, some of the senior guys, but um, South Africa were certainly we were hugely impressed by uh, Rossi van der Dusen again, who was a little bit chancy. Uh, at times um, earlier in the series, but uh, not so in the second innings. And Pieter Milan, who just looks to the manner born. Yeah, no, uh, but both thirty-year-old, uh, both thirty-year-olds. Well, when they made their debut, um, both have got you via you know, the 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 less paved path to international cricket. Unlike someone like Zubair Hamza, who who was always touted as a prodigy. Although Peter Milan did play under nineteen World Cup crickets. Uh, he admitted that he took things for granted. There's something that happens when a, when a player makes his debut when he's older. When you know, the, like I said, these two guys are 30. They they seem grateful for it, and and that, that's not to be disparaging or said that they don't deserve it. But they just kind of have a, a greater appreciation of where they are and how long it took to get there. Um, I, I don't know if you if you saw Peter Milan's, um interview 
uh, post match. It was it, one of the one of the best post match presses I've ever been to. He was just so humble, so, so as I said, so grateful to be there. And that I think it, I think that sort of understanding of where where you've come from and how special it is to represent your country. I think that can provide a bit of clarity in the minds. And you know, when you if you're asking Rassi van der Dessen or Peter Milan, especially Peter Milan, to to be A.B. de Villiers, for example, you know his his b- talent bracket wouldn't allow it. But what he can do is knuckle down. And when his back's against the wall, I think there's something on the on a subconscious level that maybe makes him think, Hellman, you know what? I'm just so lucky to be here. I'm not going to give this away. And he dug in and he he batted away. I mean, he wore Ben Stokes 140 kilometer an hour bounce full on the chest. You know, that, 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 it's that sort of fight that I think can only come with an appreciation that, you know, this is so fleeting and, yeah, just enjoy it while you're there. Dig in, don't get out, and just, you know, kind of stretch out every minute you can. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, on, a, on a more technical or a more skills-focused level, there was, it's, it's pretty clear, and it was kind of clear watching Rossi van der Dusen during the World Cup as well, that these guys have come into international cricket knowing, knowing their game. Um, and certainly on a cricketing, on a purely cricketing level, um, it's it's worked for South Africa. You know, Aidan Markram's injury in a weird way has worked to South Africa's uh, advantage. But, you know, you don't need me to tell you that nothing in South Africa works on a purely cricketing level. Nothing arguably anywhere works on a purely cricketing level. But um, I mentioned at the top of the show, Port Elizabeth hosted the last uh, test before... Um, before isolation, before South Africa were uh, were banned from international uh, cricket, and and you know the that system that was in place for decades and in in various forms centuries and has you know only been thirty years is uh, abolished is still the effect of that is still being felt. Um, South Africa have tried to address this, um, and I think it's quite admirable that they've tried to address address this uh, at all levels of their cricket. But it does seem with. Um, with this selection, with this with this series, that um, transformation is for at least this series expendable. Expendable? I don't know. I don't know about expendable, but it, it, it's or a lesser priority. Perhaps, yeah. Put on ice is, is what I would say, and and I understand that that is not uh, satisfactory. The to to put the transformation narrative on ice is. It is is pretty worrisome, and, and 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 people are rightly concerned about the optics. I mean, it, it's a damning indictment on the on this on the development of the game in in this country that Kahisa Rabada is the only Black African who took to a, a, an international field representing South Africa at the start of this new decade. It, it, there, there, there's no denying that. Although we we did speak to Enoch Nkwe, who is now the assistant coach and was the interim coach for the um, India series. And we asked him about that, and we said, "Is is he concerned by the transformation narrative?" And he 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 didn't he didn't say he's not concerned, but he did say that creating a winning team is the priority. Now, a lot of people will 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 quickly jump on that and say that just because a team is transformed doesn't mean that it is not capable of winning. And of course, that is true. Races, I mean, you only need to look at the West Indies to know that 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 black people have a are more than capable of playing of playing the sport. Any race is more than capable of playing sport. But this team that that is currently representing South Africa is the best on merit. And if we were to shoehorn black Africans into the team, that would be the expense of the quality of the side. That is not that is not an, uh, a criticism of black cricketers. 
That is a criticism of the stakeholders in the country. That is a criticism of the privileged elite schools that continue to be the best feeders for the national team and for high honors. That is a criticism on, on the suits at Cricket South Africa who have made window dressing a priority without developing talent in rural areas of the country or in townships. The fact that um, that three clubs in Soweto, the the most populous uh, township in 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 Johannesburg, just outside of Johannesburg, the, the fact that three clubs in Soweto had to form an one club is 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 unacceptable. It, it shows a lack of priority. It shows a, a a lack of hard work at the grassroots level. So yes, the transformation narrative has been put on ice at the elite level, but from what they they're telling us, Nkwere, Graham Smith, from what other people are telling us, there is a a stronger focus at grassroots. But that might mean in the short term that the optics are poor. And I and I, I understand the the angst around that. I certainly don't want to diminish that. I understand that if, if you're a young black person, you're looking at the side and you're thinking, this is not a team that represents me, and that is a concern. It's not just about the fact that, you know, Temba Bavuma is back in first class cricket. It's not just about the fact that Andile Pekakwayo has been told to go back and play first class cricket. It's not only about the fact that Lungi Ngidi, who I guess is probably certainly now probably the closest uh, to this team and may have played but for a injury is not in this team it's about the fact that you shouldn't be able to name the names uh so so quickly um you know Temba Bavuma when England were last in South Africa um just providing that context became the first black African uh batsman to score a test 100 for South Africa he's still the, the only uh South African black South African batsman to score a test 100 for for South Africa um Graham Smith um I think Told the line or sort of talked a, talked a good game when he was first appointed, but there's been some concern about his role, not so much about him, but about what he represents and the culture he represents. The Black African Cricket Clubs, um, when he was appointed, were were pretty vocally um, concerned about the fact that he he comes from a, a South African cricket culture, kind of a pre-transformation uh culture when it wasn't so much a part of the agenda when it wasn't uh when it wasn't in in place so much even at the domestic level and just why we're talking grassroots and domestic level it's uh the, it was the warriors wasn't it who in uh, was it the warriors who got um who got fi- was it the cape cobras who got fined for the cobras sorry yeah they um deliberately didn't meet the transformation target which are much more stringent and game by game than they are at the at the national level not not very long ago um and obviously that goes far beyond any individuals but the more you look at it the more somebody like Makai Antini who did come from a a rural background looks like a miracle but again it comes from a rural background but it was plucked uh, and and placed at at Dale College an elite um, all-boys school in in the area modeled of the of the English public school systems yes the, the the these are the exceptions that that prove the rule though it's it's a structural thing. The, the, the system is broken. It's, it, it doesn't work. It, clearly, it doesn't, it doesn't create enough black cricketers capable of playing at any level because the, 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 the fact remains that the Kakisa Ravada is the only black African right now who is fit and deserves his place in the side. Temba Vuma is, has rightly been dropped. Andila Pechlaquire isn't, isn't quite good enough with the red ball, I don't think. To, to merit his side, he's certainly not, he's certainly not uh, as potent with the, uh, with the ball as, as Dwayne Pretorius. And, and, and with a bat, he can't bat in the top six. So 
No one is in this side that doesn't deserve to be there. No one is out of the side that does deserve to be there if they were fit. That that is that is irrefutable. But it, it points to a broken and poisoned system that really needs addressing and really needs fixing. And unfortunately, unless you decide to window dress, which is what is done in the past, which that that is what a quota system is. It, it is shoehorning players into the national setup. You're not going to get the optics accurately ref, representing the, the demographics of the country. Now, I think that quota systems work at youth level because I think at, at, at under 13 and under 15s, there are still biases from coaches who, who might look at a black cricketer and think, okay, well, traditionally black cricketers are bowlers, not batsmen, not in a bag. Or, or sorry, sorry to cut in, or more, I think more to the point, not look for or look at a black cricketer at all. It's not, they don't, it's almost, they're not finding their way into the system at all. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I think that quota, system, quota selection targets, whatever you want to call it, work at provincial level and should be, should remain in place at, 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 at junior levels, at, at the provincial level. But at the national level, it, it, it just doesn't work. And, and, um, and I, I as, as much as it pains me to say, anyone who will read my writing knows uh, what a strong support I am of the transformation uh, narrative. I, I'm happy that the team is being selected purely on merit, but I am, I am outraged what that means is that Kahisa Rabada is the only black African in the side. I think we can, in this conversation, chew gum and walk at the same time. Yeah, that, those don't seem mutually exclusive positions. I mean, there are some... There's a couple of things there to unpick, and one is something that Fuff Duplessis said before the, the Cape Town test um, kind of falls into that bracket, is this idea that picking on merit and making the making South African cricket more representative of and more it's not even representative of it's not even quite the right word more aligned with the the rest of the country that those two are necessarily mutually exclusive i mean i'm i, I was shocked to really to hear faf say i don't see color i mean that's a that's a crazily naive thing for any south african captain athlete let alone captain to uh, to say really, uh, just, just 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 to defend that, because I because I, I saw I saw on Twitter that you took issue with it, and you, you're right you're right to call it out. I think it's important to remember that um, f- that English is not Fafdiplasi's first language. Um, I, I think that's one. I think the second thing to to also remember is that in a press conference, sitting on stage with the light shining in your face in front of a room full of strangers who are you know kind of prodding at you, looking for sound bites. It's hard to unpick um, a, 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 a thought process. So when he says we don't see color, perhaps what he meant is that in this team we we judge people on merits and we, we we don't judge people by the color of their skin. Be that as it may, he did say that we don't see color, and, and uh, you're quite right. It's it, I I would hope that the media officer. In fact, we haven't raised it with her because the assumption is that the media officer who who is a Who's doing a fantastic job? She, her name is Sipakazi. She's she's recently into the role. Uh, took him aside and said, "Look, Faf, you, if you're going to be talking about race, you've got to be a bit more uh, more selective of, of the words that you use." But I understand, I understand the your your disappointment in him, um, and you were right to call him out. But I would I would urge you to be a bit more uh, understanding, if it were. Look, one can understand why a thing was said and still be disappointed that it was that it was said and and uh, it, it's it's not really about it's not really about that it's about the 
it's about what those words mean and what those and and the it's disappointing that he would that it would need to be pointed out to someone uh that um but we and we've heard um but yeah this this idea that um the idea that uh elite performance and and i really don't want to use the word representation um aligning south african cricket with south african society are mutually uh exclusive and uh, and i think ultimately that that's surely harmful i mean if you know 90 percent of your of your population is no longer officially but in by the fact of the complete lack of structures and the, by the fact that it's still uh that you're still having to essentially parachute people into uh pre-existing either white or, or, or colonial or in in some way privileged structures um cannot be good for the long-term health of your game quite well you hit the nail on the head absolutely that, that is it's 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 a it's a shrinking demographic that that is holding um cricket up at the elite level i mean the you know the annoying right-wing mostly white racist um you know dog whistle is that south africa is going to become like zimbabwe um, it, it's 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 a ridiculous thing to, for people to say, and it's, I, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But we, one of the things that we've seen in Zimbabwean cricket is that it's it's fallen off a cliff. I mean, in 1999, they they were one of the better teams in in the World Cup, but they were unlucky not to make the semi-finals. So it would it would be a great shame if, if South Africa stopped being a powerhouse in, in world cricket. I mean, it, it's a game that that only what 12 teams now play Test cricket um, yeah. that, that may expand, but. As we see with the big three of England, India, and Australia, the teams outside of that elite cluster need as much help as they can get, and they need to help themselves as much as they can. And South Africa not tapping into the very deep reservoir of, of black African talent is a complete missed opportunity. And, and I hope that what has happened this last year with the terrible World Cup, with uh, fighting between the board and the, and the players' union, um, the, the hammering in in India, Graham Smith replacing a black chief executive, not because the, the ch black chief executive was black, but because he was completely incompetent and didn't deserve to be there. A big part, not Graham Smith, Jacques for replacing the CEO. Um, I hope that this is a bit of a wake-up call, that that things do need to change, and they, they are not they are not changing organically. We can't just um, trust that the, that the black middle class will produce enough talent on its own, that the uh, as you say, not representation, but that the cricket teams at the elite level more accurately, rep uh, what did you say, more accurately reflect society in South Africa. That is not happening fast enough. So, yeah, hopefully a wake-up call. Hopefully we begin 2020 with a, with a renewed focus that things need to change and that young kids coming through the system can look at the protests and say, that is a team that I feel accurately reflects who I am and where I come from. And that Absolutely. goes for white people. And that goes for white people too. You know, it's important for white people to look at their, their sports teams and, and, and see a majority uh, black team. I think it's important. We, what we, the, one of the transformation narratives is, you know, it always focuses, too much, it focuses on, on the young black kid in the township looking at the team. But I think it's important for the white kid growing up in a privileged society, in a privileged house, going to a good school to look at the team and say, that team also reflects the society that I live in because it's too easy for, for white kids Myself, when I was growing up, I could look at the Springboks in rugby or the Proteas in cricket and say, wow, this is a pretty white country. And I think that that created a bit of a warped sense when I was growing up. I think it's important that young white kids also see majority black scene. 
No, it's a, it's a very important thing you say. Obviously, <laughs> there's more than we can pack into a single discussion on this, and there's plenty of other uh, topics that this has got me thinking about, and I hope that that's the case for everyone listening uh, as well. And please do... Um, um, please do feel free to um to to have your say on uh on twitter as well um it wouldn't be in the gorilla spirit to to say otherwise um uh, we don't have that long left but we will talk a little bit about uh, about four day tests as uh, mentioned at the top of the show the mcc committee the end the world cricket committee have come out against mandatory four day tests uh joining the federation of international cricketers and a number of top players including uh virat kohli who um for all of his faults and for all of the bcci's faults is not afraid to use his uh position I my take on this to some extent is kind of what's all the fuss about boards can already schedule four-day tests if they want to um England did it versus Ireland at Laws last year and as you said PE December 2017 South Africa did against against Zimbabwe I kind of before we before we let you go um what I wonder what the reaction has been in in South Africa it's been mixed it's been mixed because I think when you are outside of that elite bubble you want to try and convince the big guys to play test cricket against you. And if four-day cricket, uh, uh, four-day test cricket is the way to, in, to, to make in, or, or to encourage India to, to give you more games, to come here more often, England, Australia, the same goes for England, Australia. Then on the one hand, I understand why it makes more commercial sense. Um, it, it's the, an, uh, the loss of, of a fifth day or an empty stadium on a fifth day is... Uh, uh, a bigger financial blow to a country like South Africa than it is to say Australia and England and India where the money is where, where the game is healthier and, and more financially stable having said that uh, cr- cricket, cricketers brains and cricket fans brains turn slowly don't they we, 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 we this is why we obsess over history and stats and the weather we we, we tend to like things the way they are especially in test cricket so, like, so things can happen in T20 cricket things can happen in one day cricket but Leave Test cricket alone, especially if you're a purist. So, I'm of the opinion that I would like to see it stay five days. I mean, we wouldn't have had the epic uh, fifth day in Headingley. We wouldn't have had the epic fifth day in in Cape Town now recently without it. So, yeah, it's a it's a mixed bag. I I understand why why the suits want four days, but I mean, you know, you you cut me open and I bleed the red of a of, of a of a test cricket ball. So I I wanted to stay five days. I mean, I I, I think you're in agreement, right? I love I love five day tr- test cricket. I think the option of the fifth day makes a a massive positive difference, even to test that end in four days. I think that heading the test actually did end in in four days. But you know, I think the option of the fifth day makes a significant difference to how the the game is played. Uh, yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that that whole series. I mean, Test cricket in England's been on fast forward for last last several years, as it kind of has been in in South Africa until that until that Cape Town yeah. Test. But that, that's kind of that's not the point. You know, one good game hit, one good uh, five day Test, and there's been a lot of them recently. Doesn't and doesn't make the case any more than a, a bad five day Test, like we like make makes the case uh, in the other direction. But. Uh, the, the, I don't see the need to make it mandatory. Boards can already schedule tests of however long they like. Yes. It, it seems it seems heavy-handed, and it seems... Um, I guess I've got to let you go fairly soon, but I think the, it's it's the wrong point for the ICC to be intervening at. It wouldn't be the G- Gorilla Cricket podcast if I didn't say that the, the ICC need to centrally fund test cricket and centrally fund test cricketers, you know, stop test cricketers having to make decisions like uh, becoming a coal pack uh, actually make test cricket 
financially viable, make that a more equal equal choice. And and if they're serious about if they're genuinely serious about about Test cricket and you know want to do what the want to I guess um, reinforce what the World Test Championship is trying to do in in terms of uh, bring Test cricket forward without sacrificing what makes Test cricket really great. Um, fund it properly. I mean, that, you don't need to change the structures uh, in that way in that way at all. But uh, that that seems to be uh, a much harder thing message to uh, to get across. Uh, but we will have a five day test ahead of us starting on on Thursday. Uh, and on uh, and on that note, that brings us to the end of another edition of the Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Thank you very much, Daniel. Oh, Nako, it's always a pleasure chatting to you guys. Um, as you know, always a big fan. Lo- love the work you guys. And you know, we talk about the. Uh, democratization of of test crickets and you know that your listeners don't need me to tell them that you guys are are, are champions of the of the little folk of cricket and and uh, you know we stand on your shoulders hashtag keep cricket global uh yeah thank you to producer thank you to producer john even though i'm actually producing this week remember you can get the pod before anyone else by signing up as a patron at any donation level at patreon.com forward slash gorilla cricket but if you don't have the ready cash don't worry it'll be with you before too long on itunes spotify acast and podbean if you're listening on itunes please do leave us a nice review and a five-star rating really helps us out whatever podcast platform you're listening on please share the pod with your cricket loving friends till 7 50 a.m uk time that's 9 50 a.m south africa time adjust according to time zone add salt to taste on thursday the 16th from everyone here at uh, gorilla cricket it's goodbye Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.